0: Welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful Growth Step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience worship original songs. And we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online.
1: Well, hey, Church Experience family. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Conversations is a teaching series that we do periodically when we have the opportunity to have a really important conversation on a topic that really matters with some amazing people. And so today you're going to hear from Bill and Noreen Barlow. They are people that God has used in some crazy ways. I mean, their stories are amazing. I can't wait for you to hear them. I mean, just to give you a little preview as we're dialing in here, I mean, Bill was ultra successful as a salesman in the business world, like ultra successful. And then God called them to be missionaries to a very unreached country. In fact, one of the most unreached countries. And they were there for about a decade and saw God do some beautiful things in this beautiful country set in the snow-capped mountains and all the amazing things that God did for them, the stories, I can't wait for you to hear them. And not only that, they saw God do such incredible things through their lives, but also they saw how God protected them as there's a story about a near kidnapping and, and stuff that I'm just we're going to get into in, in a few minutes, but it's just unbelievable. But before we do that, I just want to say I love this conversation we're about to have because it represents so well the teaching series we just finished, Kingdom Come. And we've been talking about God's kingdom, but here today you're going to see an example of a couple who were kingdom bringers. They were busy bringing God's kingdom more so into the lives of people and into a country. And you're going to see the fruit of that. It's going to be amazing. But some of you that are listening today, you're you're hearing this message and you have a restless heart because you're, you're really visionless and purposeless when it comes to the impact you really want to make with your life. And I want to remind you as you're looking for your calling that you've already been called, that God has great plans for your life, and he's called you to it. He's called all of us to it. I want to read a, a verse as we're beginning here from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, We therefore are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. So, so God's called us to be ambassadors, representatives of Jesus in his work and his message in people's lives. It, it goes on in verse 21. It says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in other words, we're ambassadors of this amazing message that we can be forgiven of our sin Because the one person who was sinless died for your sins on the cross. And because of Jesus who gave up his life, we can have eternal life and life to the full here and now. We can experience a full life in Jesus Christ. And so that's the message. But that amazing message needs messengers. And it needs ambassadors. And God has called you. God has chosen you to be a representative of his in this world. A representative of Jesus Christ. So I'm so excited about this conversation because we're going to talk about what that can look like, how powerful it can be, how amazing it is when God uses someone who says, God, I'm available to be your representative in the world. Well, if you're taking notes with us today, there's going to be a handful of things I want you to write down. And one of the first things I'd love for you to write down, just as an introduction to where we're going, is this. The greatest adventure, the greatest adventure in life is helping more people experience a full life in Jesus Christ. I mean, there's nothing like it in the world. You won't find it. You're looking for something that's exhilarating and life-changing and fulfilling. I'm just telling you, you won't find anything more exciting, more adventurous than helping somebody else find and follow Jesus. Well, we're going to talk about a story today about how God's used a couple to help a lot of people find and follow Jesus. So welcome, Bill and Noreen. So grateful that you guys are a part of our church family and also willing to share with us today. In fact, it's a huge honor that you guys are a part of the church. And I, I, I don't think God brings anyone into our life uh, by accident. I think it's divine. And, and the fact that he brought you guys here to church experience, I really believe that not only is it such an honor for us, but it, it's a further confirmation for me that God wants to do great things here. Because I know you guys love Jesus. Yes. And we're super thankful to have you. Um, I have a few questions I want to ask you today uh, so we can learn more about what God's done in your life. And the first question is just a simple one. Give us some context. Uh, you know, you've had a lot of amazing things that have happened in your life, and God's done a lot. But where did it begin? Give us, give us some background. Um, and then also uh, tell us a little bit about what life was like when you were in the business world. You were very successful at sales. How did that happen?
2: Well, well I, uh, I got saved pretty young uh, in my early 20s. Radical salvation in the beaches of California on a beach. And eventually came back to my hometown Kansas City and um was all I ever wanted to do was live in a tree house and play music all my life. I was a musician, but eventually had to get a job and i um grew as a Christian and always had uh uh home groups in our home and uh worked at a grocery store, not too much responsibility I didn't have any vision for working hard or I just wanted to play music. <laughs> and uh, share, share about Jesus. I'd get off work and hitchhike around town, and people would pick me up, and I'd say, I'm going wherever you're going, and, and share about Jesus. And then I lost my job. And this, the store closed down, and I needed to find another job. And I thought, oh, I saw these salesmen come into the grocery store. They would sell something, something unique to the store. And so I answered an ad, and a chemical company had an ad in the paper to hire uh, a chemical salesman. So I went and a... I met the guy, you know, at some office, and everybody even wondered why I was walking in the door. I had long hair and a ponytail and dressed in jeans, and, and I told the guy that was a sales manager that I wanted to work. I needed to work to support my family, and I, I can be friendly and sell stuff, and he had a feeling he should hire me, and everybody said, what do you hire that guy for? Why did you hire him? And, um, so I went out with my you know my information, and it was an industrial company where you'd go to manufacturing plants and hospitals and um, whatever and um, my father was a machinist, so I had, I had a familiarity with, was familiar with machine shops and machine thing, things and car dealerships well the from the moment I got hired, something came out of me, some co- competition that i I didn't know was there. I was always kind of laid back and i These guys were these guys dressed up in, you know, three-piece suits and drove Cadillacs and big rings on their fingers. They they looked at me like I was some kind of dweeb. What was I doing there? And something maybe wanted to show those guys I could beat their, sell their pants off, and I could, I could. Something came out of me.
3: Wow!
1: So this, and, um, this is coming out of you know this laid back, yeah. uh, music loving background, and now you're this ultra successful sales guy, one of the top in the country in but your company. I still
2: company. kept long hair. I still played music. I still <laughs> sang songs in the church. That's so neat. So you worked. were true to yourself,
1: but you're fitting into this. This world that's totally unlike the mold that you were in, and, and you're and you're being really successful. You're making all kinds of money. You're traveling. You're selling stuff,
2: and being able to be the one that gave money instead of asked for it. We mm. uh, in our home group, we would, and we would be able to help people. It was such a joy. Mm. It never was the. It was never a question of how much money we had. Mm. Never was the question.
1: So what an amazing change from where you were, this uh, California kind of hippie type lifestyle. And then now you're this ultra successful salesperson, yeah. but still true to who you are. Yeah. Well, out of that, um, God ended up calling you guys to do some amazing things. And, and we're going to get to that part of the story in just a second. But I just I want to pause right there and speak to some of you who might be in uh, either where Bill was in the business world um, or maybe that's what you're wanting. And I, and I just want to pause and say this. Uh, it's okay to be successful. Uh, In fact, I think God can really use that and that you should try hard at whatever it is you're doing. But there's a huge difference in chasing success or significance. And if your goal is just to be successful, to make a lot of money, and and just to, to please yourself, in the end of the day, you're gonna feel that that's empty. It's not enough. That's never gonna fill your soul to just to live for success. And I wanna challenge you to live for, instead, significance and you can still live a significant life that's successful, but how you define success has to change. Is this a life that God smiles on and says, that's a successful life in my eyes? That's where we want to get. But, but in the end of the day, a lot of people are chasing success because one reason, they want more, more of something. It might be a thrill, it might be uh, for material things, it might be for accomplishments and, and pats on the back. But I, w- I want to remind you today that, that the more that you're actually looking for is Jesus. He's the more that you're looking for. And so once you find Jesus, then you can go and be successful in the marketplace or ministry, whatever areas that God leads you to, but you're then doing it for Him and for His purposes. And so I just wanted to pause to say that. And it comes out of this verse, Proverbs 16, 3, where it says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. So whatever it is that He's calling you to do, whatever it is that you're doing in your life right now, Do it for the Lord. Commit it to him. Make sure he's your motivation. He's your why that you're doing what you're doing. Well, let's go back to this story, uh, Bill and Noreen. Uh, So it gives us a little context of what life was like. How did God call you out of that life uh, into being missionaries and going to Nepal? And then when you got to Nepal, what was that like? Give us a little description. Well,
2: the the transition my wife can speak to because she instigated it and didn't know it at the time.
4: Uh, We became connected with Nepal when, um, I've always wanted to grow my family through adoption. And I heard about an adoption program that had just opened up in Nepal. And so as we pursued that, um, we finally got to the point in the process where we could travel there. And uh, so even though we were there and it was a very arduous process, that was one of our first introductions to the country, um, and it's a small country. Nepal sits on the shoulder of India, and then what would have been Tibet, but we call Ch- but is part of China now. Got it. And then the Himalayas run along the northern border. Okay. Um, so um, we brought home a wonderful little girl um, in '93. Um, we were we became very good friends with the facilitator of the adoption agency, a Nepali couple that were there. They're also pastors of a small Christian church there. Um, It's a Christian agency that we worked through. And um, they came to America to visit us at one point. And um, in 97, so a few few years later, we had a second child from Romania. Um, We received a letter, and it was... Oh, just a letter kind of saying what was happening in their church and whatnot, but it really, we had a home a home fellowship group, a life group at that time, and it just really sparked an interest in what was happening there and what was doing there. It happened to come in October, which was Bill's birthday month, and he hadn't been anywhere, so he decided that he would like to uh, take a trip to Nepal, take a, go on a mission trip. That's great. Um, and our Our fellowship group really embraced that idea and sort of rallied around. Um, We had a 24-hour prayer train going. People wrote letters that he could open at different on different days of his journey. Um, I had taken the midnight hours. I was praying for Bill between 3 and 6 a.m., which would give him, was his sort of afternoon time. And everyone was just so excited and they felt that, you know, Bill's going to be going on this mission trip and wonderful things are going to happen there. And I always felt that the Lord was, what the Lord was speaking to my heart was that he was going to come back more changed than the change he would He would be having on this trip. And I didn't really know what it meant. Um, but during one of my prayer times, um, I was in this wonderful women's bible study and i was kind of working through the study that we were doing um i'd looked around our home we had just done quite a bit of sort of remodeling and we finally kind of got it it was it was kind of nice and and i just felt the lord speak to my heart and ask me how much is all this worth and are you willing to give it up for me wow and um uh, I looked around, and I said, I finally got a chair that, you know, is so, yes, but yes, <laughs> I, like I would. Yes, chair. I like this chair, but yes, uh, um, I would I would be willing to do that. And I knew that the day I picked him up from the airport, um, we kind of looked at each other. And um, he said, do you want to move to Nepal? <laughs> and I said, you know, I think I do. Oh, wow. um, so it was, it was... Though, I, I mean, the Lord had sort of, even that that time, had prepared both of us in different ways. It wasn't the kind of, um, it wasn't something we had been planning.
1: Yeah. It kind of surprised you almost. God had been working and, behind the scenes the whole time, and once it was there, you were ready.
4: And I knew that yeah. he was going to come back somewhat changed. And I knew that that night, that night that, that just sitting in my little yellow chair, that my a willingness to just leave behind everything that we had there, how important was it? Not very it was fun, but it wasn't it wasn't what it wasn't everything yeah. um, and we kind of realized that that's neat when he got back and you know what i think
1: it just is a side point or quick i think it's so neat that you guys were open and available and you say god however you want to use this us, we're willing to even even let go of the things that are comfortable to us so that we can make a bigger difference and i think some people cling to this world so tightly that they they can't be used in the ways that god wants to use them and it might be right here where you are but we hold on to those things so tight and, and you just kind of open up your palms and said all right god uh, you're worth more than the worth of all these things in my life. And God was able to use that. So so you guys transitioned to Nepal, this beautiful country, but a country that's, I believe you told me, 1% to 2% Christian, if that, when you move there, uh, very unreached, a lot of poverty, a lot of issues, but, but a beautiful country and, and people filled with beautiful people that God loves. And he called you there. What happened when you got there as far as, uh, you know, what what were you doing to sustain yourself while you're there? And then tell us about the church and how the church got
2: started. We want God's calling us to go to Nepal. I was in Nepal. The Lord called me. I came home. We compared notes. We knew we were supposed to go. We have we're going to sell our house. He already told us to give half of it to the poor in the in the church. Take half of it with us and start some businesses over there. Mm-hmm. We knew from being there and our adopting the kids, adopting adopting. Lachmi first and then my trip back it was so clear there were a few Christians it was less than 1% and they were discriminated against they were kicked out of their families homes they, It was violent it was to the point of being hurt wow. and there were small little churches and they did really a bad translation of the Bible they were struggling with the difference between the grace of God and religions earning things because the Paul's a Hindu country that is founded upon good and bad karma mm-hmm. so they really needed help but we knew they also needed jobs. So we sold our house, liquidated funds, liquidated different CDs and stuff, decided to go and start a couple businesses to provide for jobs while we sought God on how he was going to use us over there because we did not know. All we knew is he said, go to Nepal, and I will use you, and you'll see a mini Jesus movement there. I, my experience was the Jesus movement that was seen to be spontaneous in America in the 70s, and what I heard in my heart was, I will start something like that for you, just go. And we got over there, and so I had to start a jobs. I had to go, we had some ideas, we ma- ended up making granola bars and granola and muesli and trail mixes, that was one business. We ended up making a, a thing that we sold in 10,000 villages, Wow. and sold in uh, penny stores and the knowledge stores and museums, it was a calendar made like an abacus, we sold those. And then we also eventually had a juicing business. We bottled juice. We had lots of employees. We got to give some Christians jobs. We were careful to always hire non-Christians. They had that mix there. So we started hiring people, loving them, caring for them. Got into some churches, didn't really like it. But all our workers were very low caste. A lot of them were disabled people with an arm had been cut off, a leg missing wheelchair people, some lepers, and we loved them. We just loved them. That's beautiful. And they started asking us, what was the deal? How come? What was the deal? And finally, we could tell them the truth because they asked us. Hmm. And then, beautiful gate, if you want to take over at some point, let me know. In this one church, we really didn't want to be in anymore because it was having all those bad influences of family dominance and high caste there was a young boy going to the church about 12, 10 years old, 11 years old. He came to me one day and said, because I used to go out and do village outreaches. I was wearing several hats as a pastor there. And I would, uh, he said, would you come down and talk to my mother and father? They're Christians. They live down in this poor area outside the, the city. And I said, well, sure, I'll come down and meet them. And that's where everything changed in our life. It was in a It was an atomic bomb and the Holy Spirit going off. Wow. Tell us about that. I went down there. It was a Tuesday night. And they had what they were calling a prayer meeting. And the man's name was Babu Kazi. Adikari is his last name. And he was in a wheelchair. He had a broken spine. He had become a Christian in a mountain mission, a missionary hospital up in the mountains, about 10 years earlier, maybe. I don't know how long. His wife was much younger than him. She was his second wife. And then he became a Christian when he broke his back. He was going off to the hospital, being pulled by a lean-to thing. You know, people carrying him with a, yeah. a, a blanket across the pole. Wow. And so I walk in, and they introduce me, and I'm very polite. I, I've, been up in, I've done some outreaches. I've been out in the villages. I've been in the mountains. And they said, well, we're, this is a prayer meeting. We're going to pray. And I stood around for a minute, introductions and some tea. I gave you the, always give you the tea. And Babakazi prayed for a minute. I mean, a short prayer. Then they were going to play cards. Huh. He had no training. He had a pastor's heart. This man was gathering his people in his home, but because he had this ability in his life, the Christian pastors wouldn't touch him because he, there was something wrong in their life. Hmm. you think we would understand it, but that was their culture. It was hmm. built into their, wow. into their thinking.
1: So if I could just interrupt there, Bill. So you're basically in that culture these were considered the least. Oh, they uh, were the outcasts.
2: They were the outcasts,
1: the outcast. people that no one wanted to be with. But, but God's presence was still there. And these people, cripples, lepers, I mean, the things that a lot of people in North American Christian culture, you read about lepers, it's just reserved for the pages of the Bible. It's not something you interact yeah. with on a daily basis. But there you are. It's right in front of you. There's a group of lepers and cripples. What, what happened from that?
2: Well, that was where Sundaroka Church started. They already had the name. He, they were him and his wife Goma were so gifted at loving these people, but they had no training, no experience in prayer meetings, and so I. They said, they prayed for the short minute, and they said, we're going to play cards. He got the cards out. I said, wait a minute, we're going to pray. He goes, yeah. I go, why don't we wait on the Lord? Let's wait on the Lord a minute, and with no, no guile, no embarrassment, he said, why would we wait on the Lord? We'll go to see Him when we go to heaven someday. And I said, well, let's, let's pray and ask God to come here and join us because I'm used to having God come join us in a room and we pray, and we worship him. And there was kind of a blank look on his face. So we all stopped. And I said, let's hold hands too. So we begin to pray. And I began to say, I just began to pray like we would always pray And Holy Spirit, come and be among us. Jesus, we love you. You're, we're your body. You can fill us up. And these guys started praying around me. And I started hearing Goma was on her knees, crying out to Jesus like I knew she'd never done before like that with other people. And Babu Kazi started praying and they all were praying and jumping up and down kind of, and they were probably praying in unknown tongues for all I know. They were just pouring the heart out to God and I was praying and I could feel that I was so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of the joy what had been missing in this church that was so creepy. I felt this is what I came to Nepal for. I would come every Tuesday night for this. I would come here for this. I would have got my, and the thought crossed my mind, I would have flown to Nepal just to experience being in that room that night. Mm. That's how, it was so thick in the air, the presence of God. They were laughing. They were jo- joking. They started singing a song. After about maybe, I think maybe about a half hour to 45 minutes, we all it kind of stopped. It was over with. We started laughing. They were comparing notes. They were talking in Nepali, asking me questions. Would I come back again next week? I said, <laughs> sure, I will. And I eventually left. And that's how it started. That's how Beautiful Gate Fellowship started. Wow! I loved them to pieces. Wow! God was all over them. They they were they were so full of God. So
1: what started in that brick shack yeah. and with a simple question of "Can we just wait on God?" Yeah, uh, grew to be this movement of church planning in this very unreached country, less than one percent when you got there, yeah. Christians. And, and now there's churches being birthed all over the place. There's people being helped. Um, compassion ministry is yep. going on. There's church buildings being built. I mean, would you ever have imagined all that God would do? I mean, just, just amazing. And, and I, I want to pause there before we go on this story because there's more to it. But for those of you who have big dreams and you say, man, I want God to do big things through my life. I want to remind you that it starts with big faith and small steps. And when you take big faith big faith, and you marry that to small steps of action, obedience, God can do great things. And I put it that way in your teaching notes. God uses big faith and small steps to do great things. I want to encourage you to write that down and think about this story. What started in a, in a little shack, a very humble place, and, and they're worshiping in an old carpet factory. This church is being birthed with, you know, <laughs> dirt floors, and lives are being transformed and changed. That's amazing. And so, don't be intimidated by the size of the vision, the size of the need that's out there. Go ahead and have big faith and realize that God can do all things, but start with a small step, a very small step. Uh, one, one person helped in the name of Christ. Everyone matters. One life change can lead to so much more than what you can even imagine. So, so big faith and small steps, God can do great things. And I'll just say this too. Some of you want to do great things for God, but you say, well, man, I don't know if I'm called to be a missionary. And to be honest, there's two aspects of that. One is most people are not called to be missionaries in their career, but we're on the other side of it. We're all called to be missionaries in whatever career God leads us to. So I would say it like this. Not everyone should be a missionary in their career uh, or as a, excuse me, as a career, but everyone should be a missionary in their career. So, So it doesn't have to be a missionary as your career, but if you do whatever you're doing for Christ, you can turn that into mission work. And so let God use you in, in your work. And I want to give some examples of that just briefly before we move on to this story. Um, some of you are, are in the marketplace and you're leaders. You're, you're doing, maybe like Bill was beforehand, you're, you're doing something and it's working really well. You're, you've been successful or you have opportunities over the years to promote and to, to make it a bigger difference, to have more influence and more affluence. And what I would encourage you to do is, is to take that influence that God's given you, take that work that's in your hand, what he's made available to you, and use that as a mission and so there's several ways you can do that. One is just being an example of excellence and honoring Jesus through how you do what you do and the lives that see you living well for God, honoring him, doing, it, making an impact, and it'll touch them. Number two is, is how you employ people. When they moved to Nepal, employing people in these factories and, and, and building relationships, and, and, and Bill was even doing that in his, in his traveling sales job before that. So, so you'll have opportunities to introduce people to Christ even through doing whatever it is that you're doing if you're open. Another thing is some people, I believe, are called to be very successful. Like, like you heard Bill say, they're called to, be, to make a lot of money that they can release to be used for kingdom work. Uh, maybe that's your calling. Maybe, maybe you say, well, man, God's really blessing everything I do and making a lot of money. And, and Well, look what they do with their resources. They self-funded themselves as missionaries. And maybe you're not called to be a missionary, but maybe you'll come across someone who is, and you can help fund them you can fund local church ministry you can fund compassion work to help the poor you can do so many things a business person who gets it who's kingdom minded and says you know what this is not all for me and it's honestly not all from me it's from god and it's for god i'm going to use it for him another thing is you can use your business as a ministry you can find ways to leverage that platform to spread the gospel in the world and then finally you can you can evangelize yourself not just through your business but but as God gives you opportunities to sit down with someone, maybe when you're done talking business, say, hey, you know, can, can, I, can I tell you about something that's even more important to me than my work? And that's the work that Jesus has done in my life. Well, big faith with small steps can make a great difference in the world. And, and I want to ask you, how, how could you live more on mission for Christ? That's really what we're after today is to see how can you live more on mission. So how, how do you think you could, in what you're doing right now, live more on mission for God? Well, as you attempt to do that, there's going to be some challenges. And, and, and just briefly, uh, Bill, could you tell us about, wow, a crazy story you told me one time about almost being kidnapped. Could you, can you tell us just the idea of some of the hardships that you face? And not just that, Noreen. I know you'd shared with me some, some of the challenges in the country. But just give us a, a quick overview for somebody who might think that following Jesus is kind of like going on a vacation. Me and Jesus, it's going to be all easy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, this is, this was a very, uh, my wife had to move back to America to take care of her mother in uh, countryside, countryside Clearwater, Florida, and we, she had to move back here to take care of her mother who was getting deep, deeper and deeper in the deep end of Alzheimer's. I kept going back and forth to Nepal because we had businesses there, churches weren't, we, it it was, that all happened pretty suddenly, and we just, I had to take care of the businesses and the churches, so I go back and forth, and uh, we decided I had um, to do our first village outreach. The, I mentioned that program that was really officially done. I don't mean just go back with somebody for a day, but do a real big to-do. Go to a village. So we went up to uh, Babu Kazi's village up in Gorka, It's area called Gorka, and it took us 12 hours to drive what should have taken three because it rained so bad the night before. And I'm the person they're following. I got two guys in wheelchairs, three lepers, Baba Kazagoma and Bikash, and some other girls in this uh, Toyota van that I had borrowed from another missionary. Wow. Drive up there, took us 13 hours, 13 hours. Had to float across the river, got stuck in rice paddies. Problem. We got up there. It, it went so well. We set up the stage. We had food being cooked. God sent us some people to help us cook the food even. They came marching into our first day's camp like the elves out of in Helm's Deep and Lord Lord of the Ring <laughs> Lord of the Rings Two Towers. They came marching and they walked six hours from another Christian church. Heard there was an outreach going on in this village, and they came and they cooked all of our food for us. We had to just pay for. We were gonna have to cook it. So we were there on the third day of the outreach. It was three days. Uh, there were a couple guys there we didn't know because this is a village. We, they had about two hundred people a day that came here to speak. We we talked. We sang songs. Gobo Babakazi talked, Bikash talked, I spoke at least once a day, and we fed people. They all got fed in the middle of the day, their oh. big meal. So they all came back the next day. And so the third day, there was a couple guys there. We didn't know who they were, but there had been some football tournament going on down the river, and they play foot, you know, soccer over there. And they get there, and they play soccer. And these guys had a sports shirt on, so there's these two 20 year old something middle 20, year old guys. Maybe one looked at me 30. They were there, but we didn't think much of it. When the night was over, it was the last night of the, last night of the conference. I was dead tired. About 10 o'clock, I was trying to go to sleep. My sleeping bag listened to a, a tape Noreen, Noreen Gay had bought and given to me that I'd never heard before, cassette m- music. And I'm in a sleeping bag trying to go to sleep, <laughs> And Bikosh and all the young guys were out. They couldn't sleep. They were so jazzed. They were playing song- worship songs and dancing around a fire and singing. And they, were, they had some guys from the village to become Christians. And, they were in the, wow. and some relatives. That's so amazing. And those two guys were part of a gang. And they're literally organized criminals mm. called Dalcoits. It's an in Indian in Nepal. They rob buses normally. They stop the buses on the highway at night. Hold guns or knives at people and make them put your jewelry in a bag. Give us your money. They were professionals. These guys were a gang. We didn't know it, but about 10 o'clock at night, there was a path from the village up the hills because the river ran by the village down by the village, and the river ran up into the, up into the hills and kind of turned a corner. So there was there was this path, and Kazi was from that village. His his uncle was there. He really liked what was being said all week long. He really liked it. He heard me preaching about Cornelius, being a foreigner, becoming a Christian. And I remember talking about that. Anyway, so about 10 o'clock at night, one of his sons, he had three, four boys, three boys were living at home. One of his, his youngest son was walking down that path to come to where we were staying at over by this river. There was a house on a hill that was empty we rented to sleep in. where We had open space to do the meetings. And not too far away, you know, maybe 50 feet away, there was this path that was dense. He's walking down to come and be with us. And he comes across this gang of guys around a fire. And there were about 20 of them, 15, 20 of them. And they were talking. So he's kind of saddled up to them and hear what they are talking about, kind of came in from the side. And they were talking about coming and kidnapping the white Badeshi guy, the white guy. They figured I had to be rich. They didn't know I was probably the poorest westerner in all of Nepal. <laughs> And these two Nepalese and their son that had a guitar and an amplifier had to be rich. They were going to come kidnap us for ransom. He heard it, and then he acted like he was heading on back down to the village. He knew what he'd heard. He said, you know, I'm going down to the village. He circled around into the woods and came up and told us. So I'm laying in a sleeping bag with, with my head covered up, listening to this. Nancy Griffith album
1: on a cassette tape.
2: <laughs> yeah, cassette, ta- cassette tape. This country kind of a gal that I thought was wonderful, and I'm listening to it, and all of a sudden, Bikosh is shaking me, saying, "Uncle, wake up! We got to run. They're coming to kidnap us." Wow! And I'm trying to make those words make sense to me. Mm-hmm. What is he saying? Huh. And he shakes me again. Uncle, we got to run. They're coming to kidnap us. And finally, I figured out he was serious. Wow! So I get up, and I was the only one trying to go to sleep that early. It was only about wow. ten o'clock. And, uh, and there, were, there was all 10 of us, plus me, plus the the son now. There were 12 of us. And he's from the village. He knows down by the river there's a little path. You would never take it at night. And we had two guys in wheelchairs, so they had to be on people's backs, and some else had to cure their wheelchairs. Wow. We had to get our suitcases and our backpacks. We weren't sure if we were going to get back down there again. And so we're walking. and We know it's very serious, but somebody said some joke or something, and somebody's laughing, and we're... We're not sure why, and we're, be quiet, be quiet. And that makes somebody else say something Nepali did not understand. And, and we're, we're, it's dangerous at night by the river on a little slippery path. And mm-hmm. we have to walk away, so We're walking about a mile up the woods, and we think we're getting away. We get up to the path where it goes around a corner. The, the river bends, and his father's farm is right on the bend of that river. And we went there for, for sure because it was kind of a safe place, because there was only one way to get in on either side. And it was down into the river, and a couple of relatives lived around him. So we got there, and we, we before we, as we started getting there, we started hearing people yelling at us behind on the big path.
3: Wow!
2: How they figured out where we were, I we don't know. So we all ran up there and told the uncle what was going on. The uncle, somewhere, pulled out the Nepali all purpose weapon and the farm utensils called a kukri. The soldiers carried it, it's a curved kind of a machete. Oh, wow. And they the Nepalese are very <laughs> famous for them. Wow. It's sharp as a razor blade, and they cut wood and cut people's heads off with them. Wow. It's a soldier's weapon. They pulled out three kukaris, and somebody had a, the father pulled a, what looked like a sword out of somewhere. He sent his two older boys one way, that way, and him and the younger brother boy went this way. Wow. And they're arguing and yelling, and the, the guys are saying, "Send us the white guy. And we'll give you some of the money and give us the, the rich Nepalese." They're our family," he said. they yelled and screamed all night long. Wow. They went and let everybody's goats and pigs out of their pens, thinking it would cause commotion, they'd, they'd abandon their, their, their positions. Finally, I fell asleep. I, I was hearing yelling all night long. I finally fell asleep. We were all in this house. <laughs> wow. The morning we woke up, we woke up in the morning. I'm you know, it's light, and Baba I get I come out, and they give me some tea, I walk out. And I realized what a beautiful view it was. Right in front of their house is a hill going down into the river. And you can see across to this, the hill, foothills of Gorka going over down into the highway. And that way are the beautiful, oh, they're beautiful. The snow-capped mountains are behind us. And we're all standing around drinking tea and rubbing our eyes. And I see Babu Kazingoma Goma across the path before the hill goes down, kind of standing in the trees talking with Bikash and somebody else. I walk over there, and I'm having my tea, and we're talking. And a little while later, I see the father... And the three sons and the mother come walking and come over to us. And you couldn't write this for a movie script. They walk over and says, he says something like, and it's a translation. I have to hear the translation. And he goes, he says, yes, yesterday we heard you speaking about Jesus and, and soldiers. He, he, took, he welcomed soldiers who were foreigners into his, his followers, however he said it. Well, yesterday we were being soldiers. Today we're going to become followers of Jesus. Wow. Like those That's soldiers amazing. did. And I just I made them really carefully tell me that they knew what they were doing. So they said, no, we've been watching Buba Kazi. We heard the speaking. We heard you preaching. They saw a demonstration of some interesting power. We had to kick a demon out of somebody that day. They saw some stuff they were cheering about because they never saw the witch doctors had that kind of power. So he said, we're going to do this. We want to follow Jesus, pray with us. Please pray with us." Wow. So I let them all in a time of prayer. The, the uncle's still a believer. They have a church in that village. One of the sons is a worship leader in Bhaktapur, a little town outside of Kathmandu. Wow. I don't know where all the boys are at now.
1: That is an absolutely amazing story. And just to, just to think through, I mean, just this revival that's going on in this village and people accepting Christ, and then you're almost kidnapped, and then the family that's staying up all night defending you and yelling on your behalf with these machetes, they all come to Christ what amazing kind of stuff that, that so many of us can't even imagine being a part of. It, and you guys got to see that firsthand. And the reason I wanted to bring that story up specifically is because I think there's a lot of us that want God to use us. And, and we hear stories like that. And say, Man, wouldn't it be cool to be a part of that, seeing my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors come to know Jesus, just, just like this family came to know Christ after this crazy experience. But so many people... They take steps towards making a difference for Christ, and then they retreat back into their less impactful life when it gets hard. When, when they think that you know following Jesus, it should be all easy because God's with me, so he's just going to make it happen. And, and when you step out onto your mission field and there's opposition, there's adversity, there's difficulty, don't shrink back. Because when there's opposition, that, that doesn't mean that God's not with you. In fact, it might mean that you're doing the right thing, that lives are going to be changed And I wanted to bring that up because some of us are not willing to sacrifice when things get difficult. And some of us struggle with fear when things are hard. And and a lot of people struggle with fear in this last season that we've been in with this this global pandemic that's been going on. And I want to remind you of Deuteronomy 31.8, where it says, The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And I was just thinking about that story in I was talking with Bill about that when he, when I first heard it just that 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 one young family member that was walking just happened to go past that that group of professional thieves that were going to kidnap him just happened to be I don't, that that wasn't a coincidence that was God's protection that ultimately led not just to their physical protection but the, to the spiritual life change that happened in that whole family because this one person just happened to wonder by and hear what was going on. See, God, God's with you when you step out on your mission field. And so I, I put this in your teaching notes. For those of you who think, man, it's, it's so hard, though, to, to make a difference for God. It's, it's such a sacrifice. Listen, if you want to see God do great things, you have to be ready to make great sacrifices. You have to be willing to make great sacrifices. There was only one sacrifice required for salvation, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, but God has called us into a lifestyle of sacrifice mm. as we take His message out into the world. And so, I want to go on to one final question. There, you've heard of the calling and some of the hardship, but but if we could kind of wrap things up with this question, uh, Bill and Noreen, you know God God led your family back here to the states, and you've you've stayed connected though. And uh, I know your prayers are with the Nepali people and. Uh, you've done so much to support them and be a part of what's going on there, but you're still connected in your heart. And I remember you talking to me the other day. You were in the church. Bill was in the church assembling some chairs. We just recently uh, have been renovating a uh, the chapel building on our, our in our audit our, our, on our campus here, and we were in the auditorium building with these pallets of chairs. And Bill was putting these chairs together, and we were just talking. and And, and Bill said, "You know, I I felt like God put something on my heart for these people, and and out of that." There's this amazing thing that's just happened recently, just in recent days. Can you tell us a little bit about sure, that?
2: Sure, sure. I also wanted to add, I never knew what I was doing all those times. <laughs> I was just doing it. You're I just being ne-
1: faithful.
2: I never knew, really had it together. I was scared to death a lot of mm-hmm. times. And just, just do it. Just did it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, we live here in Florida now, of course, in Dunedin here. And I stayed in touch with the churches over there. And Beautiful Gate has grown with multiple locations and outreaches. And the original calling was to the poor and the broken that is able, the lepers. Most of the lepers in their areas have heard the gospel. And the ones that become Christians are Christians. You know what it's like when your family members become Christians are Christians. The other ones turn the other way. Uh, they have a 40, 50 wheelchair people on their side of town that come to the church. They've done a lot. And we wrestle with their identity. What is our identity now? They're growing because is younger. He's not in a wheelchair. What is her identity? And about a few months ago, I felt the Lord spoke to me and said, I felt in prayer as I was wrestling with how to pray for their future, I felt inspired. It hasn't changed. Their calling is still to the broken, the ones in Luke chapter or whatever, it is 11 where he tells the king to go, bring in the, the lame. The people are invited to the party wouldn't come. Go get the blind, the crippled, the poor, the outcast, and bring them into my house and fill them. Those are the people that Beautiful Gate started with. Mm. Now, not everybody's like that now. It's a big church, mm. but it, it's still known as, a, it, by slang, they call it the handicapped church. Mm. That's what they call Beautiful Gate in the, in the language slang-wise, the handicapped church. Mm. They're not all handicapped to go there, maybe 10% or less. Anyway, so we've been praying for the last three or four months that God would restore their original calling, and we didn't know what it meant. What does that look like? Bikash would listen to me and go, what is that? I don't know what it means. Well, the pandemic hit. They've been locked down over there pretty tight. They can't get out. They only get to go out on the roads in the morning hours, like 8 to 11, say, to get food in your local grocery store. You can't even drive your vehicle without a special pass on it in Kathmandu. Wow. It's really locked down. And Bikash has been taking the people in their community. We've sent them some funds. They've raised some funds. They need it. And um They've recently uh, been getting pretty good standing in the, in the community nearby. Uh, they were asked in the community nearby to help do some disabled friendly things and, and work with disabled people. And the government saw them doing that. The government saw them. They gave them some money. There was, there was, this, there was money in bank accounts in Nepal and the government given by Western countries, the UN, whoever, to help feed disabled people in the capital and they knew where they were located at. They're smart people, they have tax, they have. they knew where there was a guy in this part of town. Campanyu a big city now. It's a big city in a whole big valley, suburbs, big city. And they knew all over the city where there were people with disabled in wheelchairs. If the father was in a wheelchair, the whole family was discriminated against, was poor, poor, poor. If there was somebody with one leg, over here you get a cut on your leg, you spray some Neosporin on it. Over there they, they get an infection and lose their leg lots of, Nepal's like one big disabled industrial accident, lots of disabled and crippled people, blind people. They knew where they were located all over, okay. They came to Bikash and said, would you, this is a, in the national government, people in charge of disability that had been, had a, probably a salary and had a job being paid, but never followed through and went and visited these people because they couldn't talk to them because they were Hindus and they were disabled people. They couldn't, they couldn't make that bridge, it was a ridge too far for wow. them to make contact, but they knew where they lived at. They came to cautious and said, would you deliver for us food? We have over 500 families on the first list all over the Cape New Valley. We don't have many around you because you already take care of them. That's how we heard about you could do this. Would you go and take food to those people? We have a month's supply of food. Would you go and take it to them and deliver it to them? We know you're Christians. Please don't go in and say that's why it's coming from the church. do it's come from the government. Because said we never do that. We will go and give them the food and love them. We'll be kind to them. They ask us why. We'll tell them because it's from the government. They ask us. We might tell them about Jesus. They said we don't care as long as you don't do it up front. Oh, wow. That's
3: so great.
2: they do that for the first month. The month goes by. About three weeks ago, and the second month's coming up. They've been locked down a long time. They're getting ready to go give the second month food, and they're in the middle of doing it. They've made a lot of friends. Because they, they always take somebody with a disability with them when they're meeting people for the first time, usually got on crutches or a leper or somebody, so they would see who they were, who was giving them food. Mm. And they'd, they'd see the difference in these guys' life. There was a light in their eye. They, were, they had hope. They were cheerful. Mm. Anyway, so that was the first thing that happened. We thought that was great. That was great. But then last week, the morning I came and told you about it, I was still walking on cloud nine, the federal government's uh, pandemic response team on the cabinet level of Nepal had heard what Bikash had done with the disabled people. They came to Bikash and said, would you represent the government and train all of our people how to respond to this pandemic? Not not crippled people. And would you go on Monday, which is today, would you go, there's a webinar with the UN would you represent Nepal on this webinar? Be our country. We're going to make you an ambassador. Would you be the one speaking for Nepal of how you're, we're helping the disabled and the needy people and feeding the people in Kathmandu? Would you speak? And you're on the you're on the board now. Wow. And would you speak on the webinar on the UN? Wow! And represent Nepal.
1: Representing the whole country to the, the United country. Nations
2: and train their people to and train, tra- them. train them to do cross culture to poor wow. people. They just don't know how to do it. That's unbelievable. And be cautious. Uncle, you were right. I mean, we were right all along. This is how God expands. It's the same calling on original Beautiful Gate. Yes. It hasn't changed, Uncle. You're wow. right. It hasn't changed. It exploded now.
1: Wow. Wow. Thank you guys so much for sharing. What an amazing story. I mean, I think all of us that are hearing this are just blown away at all that God could do, the power of God to work through the lives of ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And, and really, that's been the heart of, our, of, as we've talked about this conversation, is that you uh, would be more on mission, that, that God uses ordinary people. If you talk to Bill and Noreen, they'll say, hey, we're just two people that made ourselves available and God worked through us to do all these things. And now there's this church planning movement and in this, in this country of Nepal, and people are being saved, and compassion is being unleashed into the lives of people, and the church is being called on to not only train the entire country but to represent the country to the world. It's amazing what God can do. It's a modern day miracle. But listen, that same God with that same power wants to be at work in your life doing the same kinds of things. It'll look different, of course, on your mission field, but right here, right now, God wants to be at work as you make yourself available to him. And it reminds me of this verse in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power. Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God wants to use us right here, right now to be his witnesses through his power to be at work, to transform the world. So how are you gonna be on mission? How are you gonna be a mission in the relationships you have, in the places God's called you, in the career that he's given you? How can you be a mission? How can you be on mission? Now, some of you might get a calling to go, to go somewhere far away and be on mission, but I'd imagine most of us right here in this place with millions of lives here in the Tampa Bay area right around us. God's going to call us to be on mission. So how can we do that? And that's the final question in your notes, if you're writing them down, is how could I live more on mission with Jesus? And I hope that you'll do that, that you'll be on mission so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done. Right on.
0: Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.
5: We can move, Thanks for